0: Well, I hope you had a great start to your new year. It's great to see all, y'all. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're just glad you're here. Uh, I love Christmas, but I'm kind of glad it's over. After a while, you're ready to get on with life, and we don't have to think about Christmas for another five or six months. So that's good. It's when Hobby Lobby will start putting stuff on us when we think about it. But uh, right now, we're focused on Easter, and Easter and Christmas. You know, the two, the two things, in, in the, the rocks and the, the pillars of the Christian faith, both We celebrate the supernatural act of God breaking into the world in which we live. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. At Easter, we celebrate his resurrection. Christianity uh, rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, there is no Christian faith. Uh, There is no forgiveness of sin, and there is no salvation. There's no way for us to get back to God. That's how important the resurrection is. But the thing about it is... No one actually saw Jesus at the moment that he was being raised back to life. No one was there to see him. Now, at his birth, there were two people there, Mary and, and Joseph. But there was no one there at the second, the moment he raised back to life. What we have are accounts of people seeing Jesus after he was raised back to life. But that's what we have. And so for this next month... We're going to look at those, some of those accounts, and we're going to see about people that they saw him alive. That's the whole focus of our series this month, so they saw him alive. We're going to look at people in general. And then starting next week, we're going to look at three people in particular, Peter, James, Paul. I'll, and I'll refer to them some in this message as well. But we're going to start today in First Corinthians 15. Uh, your order of worship, some of you may have, may say 1 Corinthians 5. You don't want to go to 1 Corinthians 5. If you already did, you know why you don't want to go there right now. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, in a message that i am entitled a whole bunch of people. Because <laughs> There's a whole bunch of people that saw Jesus. And so I'll go through the passage in a minute, but let me just start off this way. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. So here's the thing. How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? Because a whole bunch of people saw him. That's how we know. A whole bunch of people saw Jesus. That's how many know he rose from the dead. So I'm going to begin simply by sharing this about the book of 1 Corinthians, which is what we're in. In Paul's first letter to Corinth, his first letter to Corinth, the validity of the resurrection is in question. The the, the validity, the truthfulness of the resurrection is in question in in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, Paul went to Corinth and started that church in the early 50s, around 51 AD, give or take a year, depending on who you read. By about 54 A.D., he's in Ephesus, and he is writing this letter to the church of Corinth because the church in Corinth have a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. He's working through them. And the heart of their problems, and even people can debate about different things, but really the heart of their problem has to do with doctrinal issues because here's what you need to understand. If you get Jesus wrong, if you get your beliefs about Jesus wrong, everything else is messed up. and that Nothing else matters if your understanding of Jesus is wrong. And part of the problem they had was that people were beginning to question or doubt that there was a resurrection in general. Now, I'm going to start off the message, actually, not going through verses 1 through 11, but in verse 12, because verse 12 kind of states the whole problem that they're having. So here's what it says in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, which is what they had done, that he has been raised from the dead, which is what Paul preached. Paul preached Christ has been raised from the dead. How does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Evidently, people were saying there's no resurrection of dead. Now, they weren't questioning whether Jesus rose from the dead. They were questioning whether believers in general rose from the dead. See, one of the things we understand about the Christian faith is that when we die, we understand and we all talk that people go to be with the Lord. Our spiritual aspect, our soul, goes to be with the Lord. But when Jesus comes again... And he raises us A consummation, the final final thing when Christ comes again. He raises his believers back to life. Then our body will be resurrected and we will have a body that will join that soul. And and, and that's what we teach. And for all eternity, we will be the way God always intended it to be way back in the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2. And so we understand that's an important thing. But evidently, there were those in Corinth who were denying that God raised people from the dead. At, from believers. And so Paul would go on to say in verse 13, I didn't put that in there, but he was going to say, so if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't been raised. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, Jesus is raised, but the rest of us won't. Either God raises from the dead or he doesn't. And he says, if Jesus isn't raised from dead, then our preaching is in vain or empty and your faith is vain or empty. There, there's no use. We are all condemned to die. We're lost. And we have wasted our time so that 's the whole crux of this matter. Well, he goes through verses one through eleven, he kind of builds this argument to defeat the argument that there is no resurrection of death. So in verse one, this is what it says. He says this: "I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand as well so he says i 'm making something known to you." He has already made it known to them, so he 's kind of reiterating it. This is a mild rebuke. I'm reminding you of something that I preached to you. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I preached that to you. You received it. You believed it, in other words. You stand in it. You claim to be followers of Christ, standing in the gospel of Jesus. So then he says this in verse 2. By which then you were saved. That, that, that's how you're saved. You didn't save yourself. The gospel we preached saved you. Jesus saved you. If he says, "You hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believe in vain." Now some people take this to mean that you can lose your salvation, that you can let go and believe in vain and no longer be effect. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this: What I preach to you is the gospel, It's what you believe, unless you believe in vain. Now the believing in vain goes back, or goes forward to verse 12 when he starts talking about the denial of the resurrection. If you deny the resurrection then you're denying the resurrection of Jesus, which I preach to you. You can't have it both ways. Either you believe in the resurrection or you don't. If you deny the resurrection of Jesus, then what you believed is vain. It's empty. It's lost. There's no avail. So the evidence of your salvation, in part, is that you hold fast to what I preach. What I preach, I preach the gospel. He's fixing to talk about the gospel in the next few verses. So if you believe the gospel, if you hold fast to that, which includes the resurrection then your belief was not vain. That's the evidence of your salvation. So in verse 3, 4, and 5, he's going to talk about the gospel. Way back, I think it was 1978, 42 years ago, man. It's hard to believe. I was like six, something like that. I preached my first sermon, which was I wasn't six. I was like 17, I think. And I remember I was a little Baptist church in Converse, Texas, outside San Antonio. And I preached my first message from these verses, chapter 15, verse 3, 4, and 5. And I remember what it was called. It was called the forgotten reality of the gospel, about the resurrection of Jesus. And I actually, not too long ago, found that the outline of that first message. old and, you know, paper, and, and I caught it and preserved it. It's now at the Smithsonian Institute for All Posterity. <laughs> but this is, this, this, the first thing I ever preached about was this. This is how important this is. I, understand, I, I don't know, but I just don't look. But This is what matters. For I deliver to you as the first importance, the most important thing, what I received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now to Paul, the scriptures is what we call the Old Testament. Only they didn't call it the Old Testament. It was just scriptures. And in the scriptures, and I've said this to you many times. Remember, the Old Testament is a book that promises something. The New Testament is a book that fulfills that promise. What is promised in the scriptures? A Messiah would come. So it promises us Jesus. Jesus who would die for our sins, be raised back to life. Paul says that's what we preached. Jesus died, according to the scriptures, buried, raised back to life, according to the scriptures. And then in verse 5 he says this. And he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then the twelve. Now, the first person he ever appeared to was actually a woman named Mary, Mary Magdalene, and and so the other women. But, you know, that's not important. Paul's not discounting that. He's just saying one of the apostles, Peter, saw him. Peter was critical. They all know who Peter was. Peter was was unbelievably important in the Christian movement. Everybody knew Peter. He appeared to Peter. And then the other 12, the 12 is how they would designate the other guys, the other original disciples. Now, I realize Judas was dead at that first appearance to the twelve. Thomas wasn't a part of it. He saw him the second time a week later. But they just called the guys the 12. That was their name. Who's the, who, who are the disciples? We just call them the 12. There's only 10 of them. Yeah, they're still the 12. He appeared to those guys. <clears throat> and so he made this great appearance to them, and they saw him. And, and so here's what we realized, and here's what we see. I need some water. Clean up that <clears throat> According to Paul, the burial is evidence of his death. The appearances are evidence of his resurrection. That's it. Now they know he died. The Romans were experts in death. All four Gospels talk about his death. And historians, even non Christian historians, understand the, the, the gospels are pretty reliable historical books. They talk about his death. But nobody and people saw that. People saw the burial. Nobody saw the resurrection. But they saw the appearances afterwards. So then Paul goes on and says, but that's not it. In case you think it was just the guy, Peter, and some of those close guys, he saw him. Then, verse 6 says this, after that, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. Some of who remain until now, though some have fallen asleep or they have died. He appeared to 500 people. No, we don't know when he appeared. It doesn't tell us in the Gospels. Some think chapter 28 at Galilee, Maybe. Or maybe it was just a separate appearance. It doesn't matter. Five hundred people. Some of them are dead, but a lot of them are alive 24 years later after, after the appearance. You know, they're scattered around. Go ask some of them. But not all. Then it says this. He appeared to James. Now, who is this James? Well, only person around in 54 AD when Paul wrote this who could just go by one name. James. You know, that would be cool. I wish I could just go by one name. David. Everybody knows. Who's Everybody know who David is. Just one name. Don't need anything else. Just David. All you other Davids, you wouldn't even count, man. They wouldn't be talking about just David. Oh, that's that guy. That's me, man. It's not you. Get that back, back, back. No, James. Who was James? That's the brother of Jesus. He was the head honcho at the Church of Jerusalem. Here's the cool thing about James. James was not originally a believer in Jesus at all. Jesus is his brother. Any of you got brothers? If your brother said, hey, I'm the son of God, what would you do? Ha! No way. No way. Jesus, the Son of God. And James originally didn't believe. We know that. The Gospels tell us they didn't believe. In fact, in John 19, when Jesus is dying, he looks at John, the disciple. John, who was his cousin, said, You take care of my mother Mary. And Mary, you go with John. You ain't going with James. James is not a believer. It's not he's talking. He's not talking about the the disciple James. He was dead. He died early in in Acts. He's talking about James, the brother of Jesus. He wasn't a believer. But in Acts chapter 1, Right after Jesus ascended into heaven, the believers were gathered in the upper room at Jerusalem. And it says in verse 14, Acts 1, 14, including the brothers of Jesus. So the brothers of Jesus, James, was now a believer. Sometime between Jesus' death and his ascension and the, the resurrection, the 40 days in there, James became a believer. Paul says he appeared to James. And then he appeared to all the other apostles. So not just the 12 original guys, there were a couple other people that became apostles. He appeared to all, all the apostles saw him. But if that's not enough, Paul saves the best for last. He says this in verse 8. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now the word untimely born is a strange phrase. It means a premature birth or an aborted birth. It's a birth that happened when it wasn't supposed to or in, in in a tragic way. Now, there's a lot of discussion of what untimely born means. There's numerous opinions, but the two best ones seem to be this. Untimely born may mean that his birth, his his, his spiritual birth, his rebirth was unexpected. No one expected Paul to become a Christian. They didn't. Or it may mean that unlike the other apostles who had time with Jesus, he had no time with Jesus. So he became an apostle immediately, quickly, prematurely. He says, my whole salvation was not expected." My apostleship wasn't expected. He says this, I am the least, verse 9, I am the least of all the apostles. And I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, here's the thing about Paul. Paul was killing Christians long after Jesus was raised back to life. Long after Jesus ascended, Paul was not a believer. He was a killer of Christians. Something happened. In verse 10 tells us what happened. By the grace of God, I am what I am, it says in verse 10. And his grace towards me did not prove empty or in vain, but I labored even more than all them. I strived even more, yet not I, but the grace of God. By the grace of God, I was saved. By the grace of God, not by Paul's word. Paul was killing Christians. God's grace saved him. Acts chapter 9 talks about the salvation of Paul. So does Acts 22 and Acts 26. Paul's salvation in the book of Acts is critical to its story. You may not realize this, but if, a, but if a book like Acts is going to mention the event three times, that's a pretty important event. Paul's conversion, his moving away from being a persecutor to a follower of Christ was critical. He says, By the grace of God, that happened to me. I wasn't looking for it, it just happened. So, in verse 11, whether then it was I or they, we preached and you believed. We preach what we preach, the gospel. What's in the gospel? The resurrection of Jesus. So why are you saying to folks that there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. But I told you he was raised from the dead. That's part of the gospel, and you believed it. And that belief means you were saved by it. And Paul says, how do we know there's a resurrection of Jesus? Because a whole bunch of people saw it, including the three most dominant and prominent figures in the Christian church at the time Paul wrote this letter. Peter, James, Paul. Here's the thing. We have to account for the fact that many people saw Jesus after he died. We do. Including one skeptic, that was James, and one persecutor, Paul. Notice this. This is critical. You can do all the research you want. No one has ever disproved this fact. I hear all the time people saying stuff, you know, and they did this. I'm going to go over some of that in a minute. And they, and they talk about their theories. They talk about what happened. And you can't prove this and you can't prove that. But here's the thing. There is not one document. There is no, there is no book. There is no page somewhere in the book. There is no anything that ever disproves, ever disproves that Peter, James, Paul, and a whole bunch of people ever saw Jesus. If there was, it would be everywhere. It would be all over the internet. It's not. And some of you, you may be not followers of Christ right now. You're just here and you're not a believer and you struggle with the resurrection. I get that. And you've heard a lot of theories and you've heard a lot of excuses. You've heard a lot of things people said and said, man, those theories sound awful good. I don't know if I can believe it. Yet there's never been any evidence Some of you as followers of Christ, you have friends who are agnostic or atheists and you struggle. But they've they've never demonstrated that what these guys, what the scriptures say these guys believe wasn't true. Nowhere. So here's the thing we need to realize. A whole bunch of people saw Jesus. So how do we respond to all those people who saw him? How do we respond to the people who saw Jesus? It is popular today to simply dismiss everything you find in the Gospels and say that the early church eventually made all that stuff up. Not necessarily in the first century, but by the time you get to the second century, and surely by the third, they had already made up these stories to fit this narrative. There's a problem with that. And the problem with that is you have to do something with Peter and James and Paul's seeing the appearance of Christ. That's critical. Now. As a preacher, one of the things that I say quite often, and I believe this, is that the early apostles, all of them but James, died for the faith. That's part of the evidence, and, and, and I believe it, and I believe that somehow, at some point, they all died, except for John, for Jesus. The problem is, there's always not a lot of evidence for most of them. And, and in fact, people say, well, you know, you don't have any proof that they all died for the faith. And, and to some degrees, they kind of right, because the proof is for some of them really late. When I was growing up, there was, a, there was a guy who was a popular speaker on high school and college campuses, and, and I was in high school and college, named Josh McDowell. Some of you have heard Josh McDowell. He wrote maybe the greatest book of the last 100 years of apologetics or defending the faith called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Certainly the easiest to read. Josh McDowell was an agnostic in college who wrote a paper, was going to write a paper to kind of disprove the Gospels, and he studied the Gospels and ended up becoming a believer. So he became this guy. His son is named Sean McDowell, who followed in his father's footsteps. And Sean McDowell was dealing with this stuff about all the early apostles, how they all died for the faith. And he realized he didn't know much about that. So he began to do some research. He did his doctoral work, and it spent years. And he discovered some things. One of the things he discovered is that for a lot of the guys who were apostles, we really don't know how they died. It's legend, and there's some stuff that you don't know about for sure, and there's discrepancies. But there's at least six of the guys who there's documented evidence that that they died for the faith. Two of them are a little bit sketchy, but Andrew, I think, and and Bartholomew. But there are four guys in particular who the documented evidence is unbelievable. One of them is James the disciple, the brother of John, who dies in the book of Acts. Now, someone dismissed the book of Acts because it's part of the New Testament, but I shared back with you when I did the whole series on Christmas out of Luke. Luke, who wrote Acts, is understood now even by non-biblical scholars, historians, to be an accurate account. So historians view what Luke says as very reliable. So he talks about the death of James, the disciple the brother John. But, but there are three other guys who who really become important. in the evidence we have that they died for Jesus. Peter, James, and Paul. The three guys mentioned here. There was a, there was a man in, who was born in 56 AD named Tacitus. He was a Roman. He was wealthy. He became a, a great Roman senator... He was a great Roman historian that historians today look at as having impeccable credentials. He wrote about Rome in that first century. He wrote about Nero and Nero's persecution of a group of people that we would know as Christians. And he mentioned that they died because of Nero. And he mentioned two in particular, Peter and Paul. You have a non-Christian writing in the first century affirming that Peter and Paul died as Christians. In addition, you have a Christian named Clement, Clement of Rome, who wrote about the death of Peter and Paul as well. So now you have a leading, leading guy of the early church and a non-believer, both writing in the first century. In addition to numerous guys who wrote in the second century and affirmed the death of both Peter and Paul. So you have numerous documents in the second century, but you have two guys in the first. In addition, you have a guy named Josephus. Josephus was a first-century Jewish historian, and and, and he's well-received and well-respected for his writings. He wrote particularly about the Roman wars with the Jews that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, Josephus writes that there was a guy named James in Jerusalem who died. He was the leader of the church because of his faith. So James, the brother of Jesus, is referenced by another non-biblical historian. As having died for Jesus. So here's the thing: you got Peter, you got James, you got Paul, all with documentation outside of Scripture, all with at least one document from someone who's a non-believer that they died for Christ. Now here's the thing: if the early church made up the stories of the resurrection in the second and third century, how do you account for the death of Peter, James, and Paul? If the stories were made up later, why was Peter and James and Paul dying? In 60s, and they all died in the 60s. Why would that happen? Well, it, it, they didn't make up it. That's why. Their death is evidence that the people who claim that the early church made that stuff up, they're wrong. They're the ones making stuff up. The evidence points to these three guys dying. Why? Because they saw Jesus. Unless you got 500 people who saw him at one time. One of the things that's popular it, it today and it has been for a while is to say that the, the early followers especially the apostles, they, so, they were so hurting and mourning for Jesus that they hallucinated that they saw Jesus. Now, I grew up in the 70s. A lot of people hallucinated in the 70s. I was not one who participated in that. Some of you, however, may have, and so you may be able to give credibility to what I'm about to say. I said in the very first service, you know, with all the older folks go, I made this comment, and they're like, that, that's right. You know, I'm like, hang on, okay, I don't know who that was? <laughs> You're right there, preacher. We hallucinated a lot. <laughs> if you know anything about hallucinations, and I don't from first hand experience, if you know anything about hallucinations, then you know five hundred people at one time never hallucinated about the same thing never hallucinate about the same thing. So the idea that people hallucinated and they remember, James and Paul weren't looking for Jesus, so they're not going to hallucinate over that. So that's just crazy. You have these guys who saw Jesus. It's documented. That's what they saw. That's how they lived their life in anticipation of that. So here's the thing. If Jesus was seen, then he was resurrected. So how do we respond to the resurrected Jesus? That's the issue. Because these guys give testimony he was resurrected. They died for that. Because they wouldn't have... Listen, people die for things all the time they believe in. These guys didn't die for something they believed in. These guys died for something they saw. If they knew it wasn't true, they wouldn't have done it. Now, you know, it's popular today you know, for, for people to say, well, you know, that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 28, when Jesus was resurrected, the Jewish leaders said, hey, let's just make this story up that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. They went to the pilot and all that, and that's what they did. And that's what people believed. The problem was, in Matthew 27... When Jesus was dead and buried, the same Jewish leaders went to Pilate and they said, we're scared that the disciples may come steal the body of Jesus and claim he raised back from the dead. So put some Roman soldiers in front of that tomb so they cannot steal his body. See, the Jewish leaders guaranteed that they couldn't steal the body of Jesus, even though they claimed. That the body of Jesus was stolen. So the disciples didn't steal the body of Jesus. Some people say, well, you know, they just went to the wrong tomb. As if everybody back then was just totally stupid and idiotic and moronic. Hey, they're preaching Jesus rose from the dead. What do you think happened? I don't know. Hey, here's a thought. Why don't we go to the tomb, roll the rock away and say, here's the body of Jesus. So these people weren't dumb. They knew that there was an empty tomb. So what was the deal? Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Paul writes. In Romans ten nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what they did with the resurrected Jesus? They believed. They proclaimed him Lord. They trusted him with their life. You know, we can understand Peter, but why would James do that? Why would James, the skeptic, give his life to his brother unless he saw his brother alive? Why would Paul, who's out killing Christians, rising in popularity as a Pharisee, why would he give his life to Jesus and then go and be beaten and stoned and then trying to kill him? They tried to kill Paul from the day he converted to Christ. Why would he do that if he didn't see Jesus after he rose from the dead? I mean, they believe. They have trusted him. See, here's the thing. To those guys and to us, His appearance, his appearances give evidence. Jesus was not dead, but alive. And he's still alive today. And the central issue is what are you going to do? Now, I know, you can can just blow that off and push it aside and say, well, I don't believe. And you, you can say, well, I think the disciples stole the body, even though clearly they couldn't. And you can believe, well, you know, the early church made all that up, even though the evidence goes exactly the opposite of that. I mean, you're going to blow that aside or you're going to say, you know what, I, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to trust him. That's what Peter did. And think about it. Peter and James and Paul. They are the central figures in the early church. I mean, Peter, you know, Peter, you see him in the Gospels, and he's just, this kind of crazy guy and wild, and he, he denies Jesus, and he says things where Jesus just has to get away from me, Satan. And then you come to the book of Acts, and here's Peter. He's just preaching Christ. And he looks at the Jewish leaders and said, you crucified him. You guys put him to death. God raised him back to life. Repent and believe the Gospel. I mean, he's just hammering them. His life changed. James? James wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. And all of a sudden, James, he's leading the church. He is James with one name, the head of the church at Jerusalem. Everybody looks to James. Man, James, what do we do? Read the book of Acts. James, what's your opinion? James, what do you think? You know Jesus, you're his brother. His life changed. And Paul, all Paul does is just basically write our theology for us. That's all. I mean, he just wrote all these letters. And in those 13 letters, he pretty much defines what we believe. That's all Paul did. How is that possible? Because Christ changed their lives. And here's the thing. The resurrected Jesus will change your life if you will trust him with it. He will will forgive your sins. He will restore you to God and give you all eternity. Now, Jesus isn't going to make your life easy. Sometimes I hear people preach and messages like, if you turn to Jesus, all your problems go away. You have struggles. You have difficulties. Trust Jesus. He'll make them all better. That's not necessarily true. How do I know it's not true? Because Peter and James and Paul all trusted with Jesus with their life and they all died because of it. It didn't get any easier. But life wasn't just about the here and now. Life is eternal. And they looked past death to all eternity. And they understood their sins separated them from God and one day they were going to face God and give an account. And the only way they could face God and give an account of their sins is if they had trusted Christ. And Christ said, you trust me. I save you forever. Beyond this life. Forever. And he changed their lives. And he will change your life. He will give your life hope. He will give your life peace. Peace. He will give your life purpose and meaning. And he will give your life a path you will follow for all eternity in relationship with God. But if you reject Jesus, you're going to face God burdened and broken with sin and with no hope. That's why Peter, that's why James, and that's why Paul trusted Christ. Because they saw him alive after he had been dead. And they put their faith in him and trusted him. So Paul could write, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. For with your heart you believe and you are justified. But with your mouth you confess and you're saved. You might need to confess Jesus today if you believe in the resurrection. People ask me sometimes, why do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Well, all four Gospels talk of it, and they're pretty reliable. I believe them. The whole rest of the New Testament that I read makes no sense unless Jesus was raised back to life. I look at the early church. I look at the apostles. Those guys died for Jesus. They died for him. Why would they do that if they didn't know he was alive? I just look at Jesus and the change he makes, but here's the thing that I know. I believe in the resurrected Jesus. Because a whole bunch of people saw him alive. A whole bunch of people. And he changed their life. He will change your life. Confess in the resurrected Christ. Believe in the resurrected Jesus. And believe in the resurrected Jesus. Take your life and trust him with it. And he will change you. In just a moment, some of us will be here. And if you want to come and forward and publicly give your life to Christ, we would love for you today. You don't have to. You can give your life to Christ where you are. You can email us. You can text us. You can phone us later today. You can do whatever. But I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to think about the resurrected Christ. People saw him alive. It's documented. They lived and died their life for that. Why would they do it if it's not true? Think about all those people who saw him alive and trusted him. And you... Trust him as well. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for salvation that comes only one way through Christ our Lord who died for us and took our sins and who you raised back to life. They buried him. That was the evidence that he died. Then they saw him alive and that is the evidence that he lives. So Father, let us confess as Lord, the one who lives after death, who was raised from the grave who was raised so that we might have life eternal and trust him as Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Some of us will be here at the front. You come.